Stranger Than Christian is sponsored by MDD Staffing Incorporated. You know, when you're looking for professional in-home care, a meticulous level of detail is so important. You don't want to leave the most cherished elements of your life to just anybody. That's where MDD Staffing comes in. They are a premier domestic staffing agency working to fill household jobs with the absolute best candidates available. Their standards are high and their interviews are thorough because that's what their families expect. The result of this approach is top-notch care from experienced, fully vetted professionals. Owned and operated by one of the most sought-after professional nannies in Boston, MDD Staffing is committed to maintaining the highest standard of excellence in all of its placements. Nannies, babysitters, dog walkers, housekeepers, and so much more. For more information or to explore the services available to you, email mddstaffing at gmail.com, find them on Facebook, or visit mddstaffing.com. And The Wash Vintage clothing and accessories at unbelievable prices. Search for The Wash Vintage on eBay to browse a vast selection of rare, unique, and fashionable merchandise. Follow The Wash Vintage on Instagram to get an exclusive look at sales, promotions, and the new stock that's added each and every week. The Wash Vintage for the masses. It's my first show in my brand new studio. It doesn't feel like home yet, but we'll get there. From New Haven, Connecticut, this is Stranger Than Christian. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to another episode of Stranger Than Christian. My name is Christian Carrion. The new studio is largely the same. I have the same soundproof foam. It's the same microphone. The setup is a little bit different. It's still a closet, (laughs) and it's still fairly soundproof. I'm hoping right now the things that I'm saying are echo-free and clear. Um, But, you know, like any new facility, any new office, any new studio. It's just going to take some getting used to. I must have been probably about 11 or 12 years old. And, you know, I grew up in New Haven, Connecticut, and I've always loved television. Game shows were what started me on this path, but I've always been fascinated by what makes television work. And I've always been fortunate enough to have parents that fostered that sense of curiosity in me and encouraged me to get involved in TV, get involved in, in, in learning about it and enjoying it and having fun with it. So part of that effort on my father's part, um, with the encouragement of my mom, of course, was that he signed us up for this eight-week course at CTV, Citizens Television. It was the public access station serving New Haven, West Haven, and Hamden, Connecticut, uh, channels 27, 28, 29, back in the day. And CTV did this thing where you can take a course, and by the end of the course, you will be what they refer to as a producer. So you'll know all about the studio facilities. You'll know all about how to put on your own public access show. And everybody in the class 
wanted to do it for a different reason. Some people wanted to talk about love and romance. Some people wanted to talk about law on their show. Some people wanted to play music. Some people wanted to invite local bands to be on their show. My father wanted to make an art instructional show. My father had been an art teacher for 20 years, maybe even over 20 years at that point. And he had a talent for communication and instruction especially when it came to fine art something that he is the most knowledgeable person i know in um and he is a master artist he's been painting for years and years so it would stand to reason he's a great teacher so we went through the class and we became producers and i was 12 11 again 11 or 12 years old by the time i had become a producer i think at that point and it may still stand today i was the youngest producer in the history of ctv and we set about making an art instructional show, and we called the show Mr. Fred's Palette. My dad's name was Fred Carrion, and as he advanced in his career, he became known to his students as Mr. Fred. It just became something, he went from Mr. Carrion to Mr. Fred, and it stuck. So Mr. Fred's Palette was a really unique show. It was an art instructional series. It was originally half an hour every week. But eventually, it became an hour-long show that we did live every other Saturday morning. It was a really popular show in the New Haven area on Saturday mornings. We had a number that you could call in live and ask Mr. Fred questions, and we played really cool music, and you know, we got to talk to all kinds of people, meet all kinds of people. We did all kinds of things from decorating cakes to throwing paint around the studio. I think one time uh, my dad wanted to draw somebody with a motorcycle, so he invited somebody with their motorcycle off the street. They drove it through the hallways of the facility into the studio, and my dad drew them. We had this little independent backyard wrestling league based in West Haven. They set up an entire wrestling match in the studio with mattresses and everything, and my dad was on the sidelines drawing all the action. We just did these incredible things, and it was a big, beautiful mess. It was such a mess as a television show directed by a 12-year-old would be. <laughs> you know, the show lasted for four or five years total, so I was 16 going on 17 by the time we had quietly wrapped it up, um, but it was such an experience. And to this day, I have trouble describing just how cool that was. I feel like it's over a lot of people's heads, the fact that I was a kid with access to my own TV studio. And I didn't own the damn thing, but it sure felt like I did for those few hours every week that I was able to pop in there and make television with my dad. So the show wrapped up in 2006, a few months after my dad had his triple bypass heart surgery. And so since then, we've been asked by lots of people, especially in the Connecticut area, where can I watch Mr. Fred's Palette? Where can I find reruns? Does it show, does it, like, do, does CTV show it anymore? Can I watch it anywhere? Is it on YouTube? Um, and we never really had an answer for that. Fast forward to 2021. I have recently come into possession of just about all of the master tapes of Mr. Fred's Palette. This gorgeous, lo-fi, low-budget art instructional series. Pure late 90s, early 2000s public access VHS goodness. Um, they, they were all sitting literally in a large cardboard barrel in my parents' place in Connecticut. So I started bringing those back home, and I'm in the process right now of digitizing them. And 
you know, I've been thinking for a long time, what could I offer my supporters on Patreon? What could I, what could I give them? You know, I tried to do that unmastered series until I decided to make the entire series unmastered from the jump. So there was no real use for that anymore. And I thought about doing another podcast, you know, where I started thinking about uh, anything. I've even thought, I honestly, one of my ideas was that I would start an OnlyFans and I would share pictures of my two cats, Polly and Kippo, to anybody who subscribed. I That was an idea that I had that I never did. And don't take it because I still might do it. Um, but I've been wondering what I could do to supplement this podcast on Patreon. And I think I know. Beginning today. Right now, I will be sharing one randomly selected episode from the five years of Mr. Fred's palette on CTV. I am going to directly transfer them right from the master tapes. You're getting them warts and all. Um, they actually held up pretty well. We use professional grade VHS tapes, so they held up re- remarkably well for being 18-year-old copies of, uh, of a public access show. So that is what I will be offering all of my supporters at the $10 level or above on Patreon. And patreon.com slash strangerthanchristian is where you can get signed up. It's not too late. If you're not a supporter, I would encourage you to do that. I'm having a lot of fun making this. I think that I'm on a really cool journey, and I would appreciate your support. In exchange for your support, I will gladly let you in to what I consider to be, from a creative standpoint, the defining era of my teenage years. This collection of tapes will stand as a document to the time that I spent with my father, just being, other than right now, the most creatively fulfilled I had ever felt. Um, And as somebody who is creative, I, I know that other creative types might agree that that is one of the most rewarding feelings you could experience in life, creative fulfillment. I think you're going to really enjoy it. So the first episode is up now, patreon.com slash stranger than Christian. It'll be all Dropbox links, so you can just download them straight from there. Um, I'm not going to I'm not gonna make it more complicated than that. And I'm really excited for you to see these shows that have not been re-aired in decades. So that's the plan, and I hope you like it. Today, I'm talking to Emilio. Emilio is from my hometown, New Haven, Connecticut, and he manages a very busy, very popular hotel in the New Haven area. Not so busy right now because of the pandemic, but hopefully getting back to business soon. We had a lot of things to talk about, and it's funny, Emilio is somebody that I became familiar with because his brother, Jose, used to be one of the regular callers on Mr. Fred's palette way back in the day. This must have been like 2003, 2004. And we're going to talk about that as part of our conversation. I think you're really going to like this episode. Facebook.com slash StrangerThanChristian. Twitter at StrangerThanC. StrangerThanChristian.com also is the website. I don't know that I say that enough during this part of the show, but StrangerThanChristian.com is my website. And Patreon.com slash Stranger Than Christian is where you can lend support to this creative journey. And again, all of my supporters at the $10 level and above will enjoy weekly access to public access at its finest, Mr. Fred's Palette, a new episode every week. I'm so excited to show them to you. I'll be back in just a minute with that conversation with Emilio from New Haven, Connecticut. But first, here is a word of interest about a phenomenal program on the Apocalypse Podcast Network. 
You're listening to Stranger Than Christian. Stay right there. I also don't want to hear anything about the only episode with two Puerto Ricans being like 20% louder than all the other ones. Save it. (laughs) Stay right there. Hey there, Robo-fans and Dino-fans. Do you like science fiction? Do you like movies about robots and dinosaurs? Do you like podcasts that explore sci-fi philosophy through a fun and positive lens? Then you are going to love Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Every week, your host, Louis G, invites a guest onto the show to talk about one of their favorite sci-fi movies. It's a Robocast. It's a Dinocast. It's a battle for ultimate awesomeness in science fiction pop culture. Subscribe to Robots vs. Dinosaurs on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes every Friday. Follow us on Instagram at RobosVDinos or Twitter at VsRobots. That is at VsRobots. Hey, Emilio? Yeah. How's it going, dude? Good, man. Excellent. Turn your camera off. I don't need it. All right. How's how is life in New Haven tonight? Uh, you know, only one uh one shooting. Yeah, man. My wife has been reading the New Haven Register like the past couple of weeks cuz we get homesick cuz we live in Pennsylvania, but we we still miss Connecticut. It seems like there's a lot of like violent stuff happening in New Haven, like more than there was uh, when we moved away. Yeah, it's gotten a little out of hand. I think people are too bored in the house, and they're also broke, so they're doing whatever they can to get money. Yeah, violence is free. (laughs) I think you pay for it at some point, no? Somebody does, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If we don't all pay for it. (laughs) Somebody does. So, you and I have a connection that goes back a long, long, long time, but not a connection that, like anybody would guess we've talked to each other through text message or like messenger but we've never actually had a conversation when you used to call my dad's show (laughs) i was mr fred's palette mr fred's palette yeah yeah man i was 15 when i was directing that show yeah so i don't get to talk about that very often because i feel like it's so like over people's heads that like hey when i was 15 i used to direct my dad's tv show it's like that doesn't even make sense (laughs) yeah well it's crazy though too because like i'll talk to like people who i used to go to school with and we all used to watch mr fred palace on saturday morning so like how and i'll explain what the show was in a minute but how did you find the show was it just like on and you saw it and you thought it was cool well, we didn't have enough money for cable, but no, no, I'm just kidding. Hell so, yeah. Same, man. <laughs> so, no, you know, you're flipping through channels as a kid, uh, and you're going from, like, the WB or watching Power Rangers or something like that, and you're just flipping through, and you see this guy who s- sort of resembles Bob Ross, but is, like, um, you know, he's doing a painting show. He's uh, kind of, like, witty with what he's saying, kind of loopy, uh, and you hear the kids calling in, so you're like, oh... Maybe I can be on this TV show, too. And that's what ended up happening. Hey, guys, what's up? Mr. Fred here once again. Nice to see you. I'm glad that you are out there. Uh, guys, I got a couple of cool announcements to make. Uh, first of all, let me say hi to all my campers out there at Camp Cedarcrest. What's up, dude? All right. Okay. You guys should be getting ready to get back to school. 
Um, it was a great summer, great time, had a good time. But I would like to make some other announcements letting you know that Mr. Fred is not down and out yet. No, sir. I got a mural coming up that I want to be doing. I feel like this is already going over people's heads, so I should explain what, what, what's happening here. So years ago, uh, when I lived in Connecticut, um, there was a public access station called Citizens Television, which they're still around. And a lot of the people who mm -hmm. used to do shows back then are still doing shows now, which I'm like fascinated by because it's the future. It's, it's just yeah. <laughs> um, so and and it was public access, meaning that anyone who lived in the greater New Haven area who had an idea for a show could take this eight week class, become a producer at CTV and do a show. And so I've always loved TV. I've always been a fan of TV. And anybody who listens to this probably knows that by now. So my dad and I took the class. He brought me with him. I was, I think, 14 years old when I took the class. And so I was the youngest one that, that, that had, I was the youngest one that had ever gone through that program. So I was with a bunch of adults learning like how the lights worked and how the control how the control room worked and how to how to set up a microphone and like listen for a kid who like loves tv that's like a dream man like where else would you ever find that i got you to, broke like, out like in showbiz before you even got on tv yeah like i i got to run around an actual working tv studio for like as long as i wanted and then so eventually my dad started doing this art instructional show called mr fred's palette my dad's name was fred carrion and mr fred was like it became his it really just became his name my wife calls him mr fred now um <laughs> and so it started off as like an art instructional Wait, time thing. out time out ah. did did you show like videos to cat of of mr fred's palette and is that oh, what yeah. you call mr fred now oh yeah well he sort of adopted that name in all of his art. Like he did the mural in West Haven. Yeah, uh, I saw yeah. Like the 9-11 commemorative mural. He signed that Mr. Fred. So that just sort of became what he was known as. Um, but yeah, my wife calls him that. She's seen tapes at the show. I have a whole, um, like, it's like a suitcase full of tapes that I brought, uh, the, I brought from connecticut last time i visited my dad because i want to get him transferred the only problem is because of all the music we use on the show you can't post them anywhere like if i uh, post it to youtube it'll get taken down right away so i'm trying to figure out a way that i can like i'm trying to figure out where i can get those up and i, mm. I feel like they're i don't know I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out but anyway it was an art instructional show and the original idea was that every episode, my dad was going to like talk about a different meet uh, like a different medium so it might have been painting or sculpting or you know any any sort of any of the various media that comprise art eventually we started doing it live and eventually what it turned into was my dad would paint on the set for an hour talk a little bit about what he was doing but mostly it was watching him paint and listening to music and then he would take callers so people would call in yeah. and like talk to him and make conversation and stuff it was really cool it was like a mix of a talk show and like a bob ross type show which yeah. i thought was always like really really fun and nobody ever like dude people used to prank call the station all the time like whenever there were live <laughs> you used to pick up the phone yeah, I was the one. Who, I was picking up the phone. I was running the audio board. I was running the camera switch. I was doing all that stuff. And dude, people used to prank call the other shows all the time because every night there was a live show. By eight o'clock, right. there was a live show, and it was maybe like a discussion on Islam or on homelessness or on art or yeah, a lot music of YouTube or fashion. Gold. Yeah, yeah, and people used to listen. Shit has happened on CTV shows that like I wish I had taped. There was this one time. <laughs> There was this one time, right? Because the way CTV worked was 
you would get help from the other producers. So like mm -hmm. if you needed two people to run your camera, you'd put it up on the board. People would sign up to come help you out. And then you'd like get them a pizza. We were right across from modern pizza. So like, yeah, it, it, like the damn thing paid for itself. Like, why would you not go hang out for an hour and eat some pizza with some cool people? So there was this one show and I forget the lady's names, but it was these two lawyers talking and like they were taking calls and taking like legal questions and stuff. And this one, this like she must have been maybe thirteen or fourteen years old. This yeah. like scra scrappy ass girl called up, and the lady said, "Okay, call her. What is your question?" And this lady and this girl on the phone went, "Uh, you need a fucking bra, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> and like the camera just stayed on the lady that she was talking to. It was so awkward. It would it would be right like right now it would be YouTube platinum. Yeah, I mean it wouldn't be YouTube gold. That it would be like, like double uranium. If that happened today, I feel like the lady would have told her off. Yeah, right, but she didn't know what to say. She was like stunned. <laughs> and you could hear people arguing in the back, like, you need to do a better job screening the calls. And like it was it just shut everything down. That's but like amazing. that never Yeah, but like that never happened on my dad's show. Everybody was super, super chill. And then there was this one episode where my dad said, Whoever calls the show with the best joke will win oh, a prize. My and God, I think the yeah. prize I think you the remember. prize was what Oh yeah, I think the prize was whatever he was painting that day. It was it was a Mickey Mouse painting. He was painting Mickey Mouse that day. Uh-huh. Uh, like a stuffed animal. See, we didn't a give chair. a shit about copyright. It, it, not at all. <laughs> and uh, well, I'll tell the story. Basically, what Chris is saying is that uh there's a competition going on. You tell the best joke and you win. So I, I, I called first. Uh, so me and my brother are watching the show, and I call first. And my joke was uh, something about uh, a web and a spider and the internet. Some, some stupid joke. So then I remember this other joke that I should have told beforehand, and I tell my brother, and my brother calls. And he says, Oh, my ex was a friend. Why did Jackie Chan go to um, Burger King? And why did he go? Because he wanted to get a whoppa. <laughs> to get a whoppa! <laughs> and, <laughs> and your dad's like dying laughing. <laughs> and I'm pissed at my brother because it was my joke. Right. So we end up winning the Mickey Mouse painting, which is still in my mom's apartment right now. Is it really? Day. It is. No way. It Yo, is. can you send me a picture of that when you get a chance? Yes. Yeah, I'll ask wow, you for a picture. Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah, incredible. Yeah, so you won. And then after that, you just kind of like called every week and he would talk to you. I think you played the piano for him at one point because you like you were really into the piano. Yeah, I knew how to play like, anything. I knew how to play like three keys back then. And I thought it was the most amazing thing ever because my mom Yeah, but my dad is... But my dad is like a dad, so he he gets it, and he's like, he's like totally oh, this amazed is so by it. sweet, right? And then, did, and then probably uh, when he went on breaks in the back, smoke a cigarette, he probably talked junk. <laughs> no, he never. No, he never did. He did smoke cigarettes back then. Yeah. And and actually, you know what's funny? He he quit smoking while he was doing the show. So there was one week where he did like a whole series of shows about like not smoking. Mm -hmm. And he had he at that point he had quit for like a month and he he quit ever since I think it's been like twenty it's been about twenty years at this point, um, but yeah there was um there was one time we were doing the live show and he accidentally left his pack of marbs on the on the table next to him, 
So we had this like system where like I would watch him give like a hand movement and yeah. he could tell me like to turn the music up or turn his mic off or get a close up of the painting so he can what a like diva. Yeah, well, it, it, I mean, it, it, I mean, a little bit, but but it worked. It worked because when shit like that would happen, he would tell me to like turn the music up, turn his mic off, and he would tell me, "Hey, come out here and just take the pack of cigarettes and put and and, and like throw it across the room." So you that get like amazing. A, so you get like a close up of the painting, but in the background it'd be me coming out and grabbing his fucking pack of cigarettes and tossing it. Just just get it away. Wouldn't just that get be a hilarious concept for a sitcom? I just like think about like a uh, some kind of film short. Like, uh, have you seen uh, Black AF on Netflix? No, I or, like, haven't. Like how Blackish or um, what's that other TV show? I should know. Was Sofia Vergara and uh, oh my god, Modern oh, Family. Um, Modern Family. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like one of those sitcoms. Anyway. Yeah, I feel like something where like you direct your dad on a TV. Like, yeah, yeah that would be. <laughs> I think that would be incredible. But again, I feel like that's over people's heads because that's like. It's just it was just such a unique experience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was just like so unbelievable. But yeah, you became like a real friend of the show and that's really how I know you now. Mm-hmm. And again, I've only talked to you in those little like half second moments when you first call and I put you through to the studio, but we've never like had a conversation. Well, here we are. Now it's the year 2021. We made it. We made it, man. <laughs> we made it. Well, you made it. Are you safe? Are you healthy? Is everyone healthy? How is how has all this how has all the bullshit of the world affected you in the past? Well, year? I'm I'm safe. I'm healthy. Uh thankful my family is healthy. So uh knock on wood, we get this vaccine and it turns out well for us soon. Um yeah, life has taken quite a turn. Uh you and I both work in hotels and I manage a hotel that happens to have like 200 uh, some odd rooms, you know, where you make a ton of money in a year and then coronavirus came and punched us in the gut. Yeah. And, you know, we went from having 56 employees to having eight people on staff. Uh, Everyone taking turns. I worked overnight for about four months at the beginning of the um, pandemic. There just wasn't any money coming through. So that kind of killed the joy, right? Yeah. Um, so we still kind of, you know, figure out how to hang out with friends responsibly and with family members and going through all those trials and then making it through the holidays. I think now is like uh, you feel like the light is at the end of the tunnel, but uh, we just hope the vaccine works for us. Now, in Connecticut, are they prioritizing frontline workers and hospitality workers for the vaccine? Is that something that you are more able to get readily? You know what I mean? Like, are you are you first in line for that? Uh, no, so that was a debate um, at the beginning. So basically, all, all the medical workers and, and things of that nature are going to get the vaccine first. Then for us, the elderly, those who are in homes and all stuff like that, uh, we the state was in talks to try to get the hotel industry to get um, vaccines in uh, phase 1B, uh, but that got uh, scratched off there, so... We're going to have to wait just like everybody else. And, you know, hopefully it isn't more than 50,000 vaccines a week. Should be more than that. Right. We're, we're slow right now in Connecticut. You would think that those industries would be first to get whatever was coming out. I mean, hospitality in particular. I mean, I sympathize with you. I got laid off from my hotel job last year. I was the assistant mm-hmm. front desk manager at a property with 300 rooms, um, which was too big for me. I, I, I I'm very. 
I'm much more interpersonal. You know what I mean? I like yeah, that one-on-one connection. Yeah, I heard you talking about that in a previous episode. Yeah, like I, it, it was, it was hard for me to, it was hard for me to, to, to get a grip on on just so many rooms and so many people, and then it just started to feel really unsafe. Like they weren't offering adequate protection. I thought, and I was just so nervous to go back. I was so glad that I got laid off. Um, but I do miss it. I do miss hospitality. Yeah, well, and how, there, there's uh, different. There's I'm sorry. There's different no, types no, of yeah. like. Um, uh, monsters, as you would call it, for hotels, because there's some that are just like crazy hotels that have people in and out, in and out all the time. And then you have slower pace hotels, more boutique-ish type hotels where you're able to kind of slow it down, get to know the person that you're checking in, you treat them more like family uh, than anything else. And I worked in like both settings, and I, and I have to agree with you that the slower setting is uh, much more rewarding from a personal perspective. I won't mention it if you don't want me to. I'll cut this part out. But where are you managing right now? Uh, I work at a Marriott in in downtown New Haven. The Marriott in downtown New Haven is that um, where is that? You know where it is. You've had plenty of chicken across the street. That is that a Marriott? I thought that was. <laughs> I swear to God, I thought that was an Omni. Maybe I'm thinking of the one near Chapel. Yeah, you're thinking about the Omni near Chapel. Yeah. No, but you live okay. So you work at the Marriott across from Popeyes. I got yeah. you. Okay. What kind of clientele is that? Is that a lot of I I always imagined it was a lot of families from like all over the world coming to see Yale. That is 85% of it. Yes. Wow. Yeah, so you have to imagine the impact that the university closing has on on downtown as a whole, not just the hotels but like the restaurants and businesses down there. Do you remember when you first felt like wow, this thing is going to take a toll on us? It's insane because I remember like it was yesterday, um, we had a group from London. Uh, they were doing, they were a choir group that was going to do um, several different performances in the area from New Haven to New York, Boston. And they had just arrived a couple days prior. Uh, they were, you know, doing the city tour where they were just like walking around and getting to know Yale University and downtown New Haven and all. And uh, the, the night before their first performance, uh, it was learned that one of those people in that group uh, had come in contact with somebody who had COVID. Um, so they had to quarantine in their room for 14 days. At that point, Yale thought there's too much of a liability, so they decided to cancel the entire trip. Now, the reason I remember it so vividly is because this literally, all this stuff is brand new to us. We have no idea what really COVID is at that time. Um, we just know it's a vicious virus that's like taking over the world. And so on that day, it was my responsibility to go into a meeting room with literally 300 people and let them know that their events had been canceled. And we didn't know whether or not they could travel back home because the UK had just put in a travel ban uh, coming up because of the coronavirus was so much more stronger over there at that time. So it it was just a surreal moment that I certainly will never forget. God, how incredible is that? That it's it sounds similar to what I experienced in my hotel, but as the manager of the hotel, like I can't imagine you felt prepared for that. Like how do you get your faculties together and ensure like an efficient communication of information like how do you make sure that that all goes smoothly i mean because i feel like nobody knew how to handle a pandemic situation 
Well, I like think, that wasn't like, part of our training, you know? No, not at all. I, I mean, it's not. It's definitely not like when you're in an office setting, you might know what's going to happen every day. You might get a couple of projects thrown at you that uh, you may be able to handle. Uh, and, and it won't be that crazy. When you're working in hotels and you're managing, you shouldn't even have like a routine every day because there's going to be some crazy thing that's going to happen every single day, whether that's an irate guest or there's a pipe burst that happened in, in the bathroom area to a food delivery didn't come in. So you have to go to the store to pick up that food and make sure that you have enough for service. So there's several different aspects. So in that regard, I think that that kind of prepares you to for some sort of semblance of like, not being in so much shock. <laughs> right. You're prepared to handle any anything that comes down the pike. But, but again, something like this, I mean, like, where do you begin? I mean, I'm sure that, similar to my situation, the coronavirus pandemic has affected every aspect of your job. I'm yeah. sure that whatever semblance of a, of a routine you had before the virus hit is completely upended now. Yeah, because like I said, we had like 56 people that were working for us. And then all in one, like literally within seven days, we were down to eight people. Wow. It was that serious because everyone was canceling flights. Everyone was canceling their bookings at hotels. Nobody was traveling. Everyone was, uh, you know, absolutely like in shock around the world of what was happening. So nobody was staying in hotels. At, at, I mean, at its peak, how many hours a week were you working? Um, well, <laughs> probably now I'm working less than I did previously. Uh, but you know, we're still required to work nine to 10 hours daily, right, um, right. which says something because the hotel was busy beforehand, but yeah. incredible. Did you have to stay on property? Did you ever have to like stay on call? Oh, I'm on call 24 seven. That's what happens when they stop paying you hourly <laughs> and put you on salary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah okay. you're on, you're on notice all the time. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, previously too, you I mean, we're working maybe six days. Um, uh, you're working 10 hours a day. Uh, oh, you got to work overnights. Like it was so weird because, you know, a chief engineer in a hotel working the front desk overnight and not actually like fixing rooms is insane, but it happened. <laughs> Lucky you, you got to work at a hotel that had housekeepers and engineers overnight. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, my the first hotel I ever worked at, and I'll ask you how you got started in hospitality in a minute. But the first hotel I ever worked at, I was front desk agent. It was a it was a boutique inn, so it was it was an old tobacco farm. So all the buildings had been turned into rooms. There were sixty two rooms, seven different buildings. Like the original barn was there, the original farmhouses were there, and so it was pretty it was pretty upscale. And we had a lot of weddings and a lot of parties. We had a bar on site and, you know, liquor license throughout the whole property. So you could get a drink and, like, walk around and stuff and use the pool. Um, but housekeeping went home at 3.30 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Maintenance went home at 3.30 in the afternoon. Our check-in was at 3. If anything happened on property from check-in time on, that was on the front desk to fix. So I became a plumber and yep. an electrician and a housekeeper and a turndown attendant and just anything that anyone would need. Yeah. So, yeah, essentially, you know, doing the same right now. So, like, where we were so used to, like, assigning tasks to people, oh, this person can take care of that. Oh, I got the perfect person for this task. Yep. No, you're doing yep. it all. <laughs> Is there any better way to learn customer service, though, than working at a hotel? 
I don't think so, uh, honestly, because even like when you work in retail, the hospitality isn't that warm. I mean, unless you've been somewhere that's like insane. I, I don't know, like a like a Wegmans that you might have down there or something like that might have it. Um, right, right, right. It's not that personal at Wegmans. I hate Wegmans. Yeah, but anyway. uh, I've never been into Wegmans, but I just know it's big in Pennsylvania. Wegmans is too damn big. It's that's too my, damn that's my, big. It's too damn big. That's my problem with Wegmans. <laughs> Fuck yeah. all that. That's a big ass store. <laughs> <laughs> Top ten worst biggest stores. Number ten, Costco. Yeah, Costco. Uh, is Stu Leonard still a thing in Connecticut? Yeah, Bass Pro Shops. Bass Pro. I just like Bass Pro wanna, Shops though. In case you want to just pick up a rifle at the same time you're buying your grandma an ornament for a Christmas tree. See, I go to Brass Pro Shops if I want a hoodie and a moon pie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, moon pies are good there. <laughs> I usually, when we go there, I usually get a, like a hot sauce kit or something because they all have different kind of hot sauces there. Oh yeah, they got good hot sauces. They have good, um, like jerky, like all the mm-hmm. meat stuff. I love, I love all that. And yeah, I love that. Yeah, I like Bass Pro. Bass Pro Shops is okay. I can walk around and know that nobody's gonna bother me. You know what I mean? Like it's too big for them to find me. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, man. Hospitality, I used to call it advanced customer service. Like when I was training front desk agents, I was like, we used to get these like 17, 18 year old kids that would want to work at the front desk. And sometimes it would work out. Most often it wouldn't because, and this is only my theory, a front desk at a hotel can't be your first job. There is a lot you have to learn about people and about the human condition before you can effectively take a job at a front desk. Uh, yeah, because honestly, people don't care. Uh, uh, basically, like in hotels, you have most of the clientele are people who stay in hotels every single day. And so they sniff somebody when they're like, like not prepared for them or when they're inexperienced. Like they, they can sniff you out. They know that you're a newbie. So they can try to squeeze whatever they want out of you if they want. Or they just, you know, you can't come off as timid. Most of the uh, job at the front desk is simple technical wise the biggest part is the personality and how you can deal with those kind of situations yeah oh it's personality and it's multitasking it's being able to take four problems lay them out in front of you and figure out in what order you need to knock these things out for the rest of the day to go smoothly yeah i've I've had my fair share of uh newer employees since you were talking about training there newer employees who are great technical wise uh, but are way too boring to be working at a front desk. Maybe need to work in an office setting or something. Or I've had is the that opposite. A, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Is that a problem that you've noticed among among the younger people that work at front desk? That, like, yeah, they don't have Chris. So, like, it's definitely, like, so I've been managing since 2013. And literally, it's gotten worse <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Not so much the young part. I think it's it's more so the, the immature mindset because they're, I could pick somebody out of a litter and they're going to be 18 years old and they'll do great. But you'll have somebody who's like 25, 26 who just hasn't grown out of that high school phase and just can't figure it out for themselves. And so those traits come back to haunt them later on because they were so immature previously and they can't figure it out now. What kind of personality does it take to be a good front desk agent at a busy hotel like yours? You just have to be like attentive and a decent person and have common sense, which is hard. Because you, like I said, you might. Uh, what I was going to say is that you have the other side where somebody is like super personable and they're lovable and they're great with guest interaction, and then they're just like 
dude, batting like over 10 every time when it comes to like technical stuff in the computers and all. Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And it, you can't teach it. You either, there's a certain, um, I wouldn't even know how to describe it. There's a certain personal quality. You got to have like that golden thread in there. If mm-hmm. you don't have it, you don't have it. You can't get it if you don't have it. But there's a certain, like, and I wouldn't even refer to it as a personality. There's just a certain type of person that does well in that environment. Yeah, honestly, like, if anybody is out there listening, young or old, and you're going to a work interview, the very first thing you should do when you greet somebody is give them a smile. And I know, it's super hard right now with the mask on. (laughs) But you can raise your cheeks or something, the ones on your face, or, you know, put your hand over your heart or something. To... <laughs> you can raise the other cheeks, too. You might get the job faster. <laughs> you might, depending on where you are. You got to do what you got to do. You know, it's 2021. You got to get this money no matter what. Uh, I'm um, telling but... you, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you got to do, like, some kind of, like, you got to show that you're there, like, you have arrived. Like, I need you to be on my staff because of that bright personality. Right. I had a manager when I was... Um when I was working as a front desk agent um, and he used to tell me because our hotel was small enough that it was one person on front desk from like four o'clock to 1030 when overnight would come in. So he used to say that like that, like those six hours, like for example, if I'm working like that's the Christian show like that, (laughs) you need to put, you need to make your mark on that shift and, you know, handle things in a way that like, is is like signature you you know what i mean and the way one of the ways i used to do it other than making conversation with people yep. was i used to give away free stuff all the time if you were upset i'll have a bottle of champagne up mm-hmm. to your room in a minute it's really no problem you know and I, I got to be friends with the bartender and everybody working in the kitchen so that later i could say hey man it's like room 608 needs a plate of strawberries can you hook one up for me and i'd have mm-hmm. it in 10 minutes and that looks that looks so good to the guest you know yeah, because you're you're basically you're affecting them. Obviously, they're there most of the time for business, or you may be working in a hotel where it's like all like leisure guests were there for vacations and stuff, and they need that like that first interaction has to be great. So like, if I'm interviewing yeah. you and you're like blah, it's not gonna work. <laughs> right, right. Well, what's very true? What's the average age of a front desk agent over there? We have a wide range. I don't think it's anything specific, and it's probably depending on where you um, live at or where you work at too, because the 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 pool of people applying for these jobs might be different. Right. Well, I, I mean, like in your hotel in particular, I would say it like well, right now it's me, so it'd be my age. <laughs> <laughs> the average age is no twenty eight divided by one. Let's see typically, guy... you get a lot of people who are like in their early twenties to mid twenties at first, who have worked in retail before and are looking for something different. And those tend to be the people that work really good technically, but don't have that customer service side. And sometimes you'll luck out and get both. Um, and then you'll have like this other side of like 25 and over who may have gone to college, who thought they were going to do something else with their degree. It didn't turn out that way, unfortunately. And they're trying to do something else uh, with their life, maybe a career change and stuff or something in between. 
damn, that's like a mix of every reason why I started working at a hotel. That's like everything I had. I, I, I didn't have a degree. I dropped out of college. Um, I was going to school for broadcasting mm-hmm. and I just saw it as an extension of that. Like I get to wear a suit and talk to people and, and, you know, and be engaging and welcoming and do all that stuff that I wanted to do like on TV or on the radio, but I do it at a hotel. Like it just seemed like a fit in that way. And I, I gotta tell you, man, when it comes to like dealing with guests, I'm so good at it. I'm so good. At, at, the, at that first, like, that first welcome and just, like, like that's what I missed most is that, 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 well, that one-to-one connection. Yeah, and that's, it, that's the tough part, too, now, because you can't really, you know, you don't see the person's face and stuff, and you can still make an impact on their stay, obviously, too, like, if they're going through something tough or whatever, but, um, you know, you just, you're not able to offer, like, the service that you used to. How did you get started in hospitality? What was your first position? Um, I worked as a front desk agent at a Hyatt place, uh, in Milford. Okay. And why? Like what, what attracted you to that job? I was a senior in high school and I needed to get my driver's license and my first car. Wow. And so that was, uh, my job to get me to that place. So was that your first job? That was my first hotel job. My okay, first, not your first job. My program. first job was at the uh, city clerk's office in downtown New Haven, which was an absolute disaster. <laughs> yeah, what was that about? What were what were your responsibilities there? So I was honestly like the paper pusher. So if somebody needed envelopes sealed and sent out and signed off on to send out, I would do that. I'd run mail. I would literally be in a vault that has books with every time somebody flushes a toilet in New Haven. And if somebody owes a bill then you have to go find their name and their information and basically send out a warning that their water's going to get shut off and stuff. Um, like looking at city maps for like uh, construction and matching them into a computer system. Because at that time there was no real computer IT system that had all this information in it. And when I was working there, this had to be, 2000 and this is 2009 um they were just switching over to having every all the data inside the computer system that sounds like a total nightmare man (laughs) yeah it was that sounds like a nightmare but i gotta tell you um when you went to apply for the hotel job i imagine that your experience there came in handy because not that they are so similar these two jobs but you know, in both of them, you're interfacing with people over a desk. You're managing, you're managing paper and a and and some sort of digital data entry system. Mm-hmm. You're managing bills and payments, and you know, monitoring all that stuff. In those ways, the jobs are pretty similar. So I imagine that that was a help when you uh, started working at the Hyatt. Yeah, it it was, uh, and obviously, I was green at that time. There was like certain stuff that would happen, be like scared basically of them happening but you know you get the training at first you always have like somebody for like the first week or two and then they let you fly on your own what was the fear what would you be afraid of happening it was just so this front desk was kind of strange because uh, if and if anybody's listening who's ever worked at a higher place by some chance um the desk is super low and you basically have to hunch over to see the computer because the computer is inside the desk and so the way that that worked is that when a guest walked up to you, they were literally like two feet in front of you. Whereas in a normal hotel, you'd have somebody who's standing maybe three or four feet behind an actual desk. That's like 
as tall as you are. Sometimes I wonder if places don't do that, if places don't shorten their desks on purpose so that um, their employees don't, like, lean all over them. That that might be the case, but there was a bar connected, too, so I would lean on that instead. <laughs> oh, there you go. Beat the system. Yeah, no, but it, it is kind of scary because I was a kid. I was, like, 17 years old, and I had never done this type of work before. I knew I had some kind of personality, so I can, you know – finesse that type of it if I wasn't like doing well inside the system words. Um, so, you know, that, that kind of came to my aid, even though I was scared. <laughs> also, I will say my GM had a, an office and his office is literally right across from the front desk. And he has a humongous glass window with shades on it. So he can see everything that you're doing the entire day. Oh, that helps too. Jeez. Yeah. yeah that helps. <laughs> we weren't afraid of our GM when I first started. He was, um, I could say his name. His name was Ozzy. He was a big, flamboyant Cuban guy. Yeah. He was, he wasn't like threatening. He was just, I just thought he was a really interesting character. But we were, we weren't like afraid of him. You know what I mean? Or we didn't have any, um, you know, how like a GM could have that sort of like intimidation. Uh, he just didn't have that. Yeah. He was just, he was just like a big, nice dude. I don't know. He was all you know, right. to some to some extent, people like managers who do that, like have to like puff their chest out, have some insecurity about what they're doing. <laughs> so oh, yeah. that's what they yeah, lean back totally. on. But then you have others who are like they're confident in what they're doing, and the way that you get people to to go to the gates of hell with you, whenever there's craziness going on in the hotel, is you treat them like a decent human being would, and they'll help you out with everything you need. So there's no need for that bravado and stuff. Exactly. And that's one of the lessons that I brought with me when I started managing. So I started a couple of years later managing that first hotel where I would where I first started as a front desk agent. I came back and became the manager. And one of the things that I learned from the people who came before me in that position was don't separate yourself from the work. Don't hide in your office and pretend to file papers while everybody is busting their ass checking people in out there. Right. Get in there. Get out Get out on the front line and help and do what you can. And front desk agents, no matter how much experience they have, will see that, like, hey, I have a boss that will, like, get in the trenches with us. And that's really, really valuable, especially when things, you know, when things happen where you might have to call upon one of your employees to, like, go a little bit above and beyond, yeah. you know? you will be thankful that you have that history with them where like they know that you'll work for them. So maybe they'll be more apt to work for you. Yeah. Especially when you've had a really tough week um, and you've been able to treat everybody the way they deserve to be treated as employees. And even more so like when you push them to do even better and you end up like being hung over on a Saturday morning and you need to call somebody in. (laughs) I need you to come to my shift because I can't come in. Dude, how many times? How many times has that? How many times has that been you? Uh, it used to happen much more, uh, like consistently when I was younger. I can't drink yeah. as hard as I used to. No, same here. <laughs> same here. I I worked at another hotel. I was doing it. Um, I was working front desk New Year's Eve, and this oh. hotel used to have a little like New Year's Eve get together for all the guests and stuff. It yeah. was really cool. And there was one guest who had a big thermos of apple pie moonshine. Hmm. And so he was pouring shots for us at the front desk. So we, if you ever look at the camera, it's just the front desk. It's just the front desk people <laughs> doing shots with the guests on the desk, like I, like over the reservation computer. And so, 
<laughs> so I had like four of these things, man. And then I had to do the raffle. We had like a raffle for like a free spa gift certificate and free burger. <laughs> and or you just so won some... more apple cider moonshine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no. They called me over to do the raffle. And I went, yeah, I'll be right there. And I went to walk and my legs just like went out from under me. And oh, I like, man. I had to like military crawl. To the... Oh God, it was a mess. <laughs> I, I was, I was a mess, dude. I was I a mess. Imagine. This other time, I was doing the raffle, and I was sober for this one. Um, but I, um, <laughs> we were giving out a free steak dinner at the restaurant. I said, "Whoever wins this, this was to a room of about a hundred people." I yeah. said, "Whoever, whoever wins this steak dinner, if you beat me in an arm wrestling match, I'll make it two steak dinners." Oh. And, and so did the strongest I, person in the room win? <laughs> <laughs> well. I pulled the name, and it was like Gertrude something. Oh, you broke an old, old lady's arm? And this, and she went, yeah! And she, like, and the crowd parted, and she came up. It was the most profoundly handicapped woman. Oh, man. She, like... Did she come she, up like, and she didn't have arms? She, like, flopped over. <laughs> she, like, flopped over to me. And she was just, like, shrugging and flopping and moving. I was like, Jesus, I can't... So I had to, t- I had to text my boss that night and say... The guest who won the steak dinner was profoundly handicapped, so I did not arm wrestle her. <laughs> so did you give did you give her the two though? I just gave her the two. Hell okay, yeah. good. Oh God, man, you didn't even <laughs> that think would it. be that would be very bad for business. Speaking of arm wrestling, this is a weird fact, but my sophomore, my junior year science teacher at Wilbur Cross in New Haven was a twenty-two time world heavyweight arm wrestler. Like champion, really? It was very strange, and he would talk about it all the time. And then he, we, so the kids in the class, we found like promo videos for this guy. Now you would have thought this guy was like a linebacker about to play in the Super Bowl. The way he's like talking in these promos, and the guy's arms massive, and he's like beating all these guys, and he's like in a dark locker room, and he's like he jumps up, and sorry, I just caught myself because. In your last episode, you talked about saying like too much, and I caught myself saying like. And I just listened to it yesterday, so now I'm catching myself <laughs> saying like. It's it's all good. I'm telling you, I say like like 50 times a day. I've given up on trying not to say it. It is all good. So anyway, the guy's super sweaty in the locker room, and he jumps up, and he acts like a tiger, and they have like this tiger graphic go up on the screen and all that stuff. So that was my science teacher. <laughs> you have the tiger graphic and everything? Yeah. <laughs> I'm also, I'm like slightly salty that there are promos for arm wrestling. There is. You find the strangest thing on ESPN. Like, uh, like one time I turned on, there's a cornhole championship. There was a different one where there was literally like guys who were like construction workers who like you give them like a plan and they have to build it in like a half an hour or something like that. That's what I ESPN. love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, while the pandemic was like. During the first wave, while the pandemic was at its, like, fevered pitch, there was, like, a shortage of sports content. Mm -hmm. So they were showing all kinds of stuff. They showed the classic Tetris World Championship last year on ESPN. That was awesome. Because that's, like, that's a guilty pleasure of mine. I watched it on YouTube, and I saw it on TV. I was like, holy shit, that's awesome. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. They they had all kinds of stuff last year. Now, so I'm thinking about, like, uh, different stuff like that. Do you consider Wipeout a game show? Wipe out like the thing on ABC. Yes. Um, because they call it a game show. They do, but I'm not sure it's a game show. I mean, 
it's a show and they're playing a game and there's a prize <laughs> and there are contestants. So I guess in that way, yeah, but I'm much more of like a purist. I have a different idea of like what a game like 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 Jeopardy is a game show, mm-hmm. clearly. There there's there's a there's a game there. When it comes to something like Wipeout, I feel like because it's so edited and it's so I wouldn't say scripted. They don't give the contestants scripts or anything like that, but they're really free to edit the show as they please. That really takes a huge part of the game element out of it for me. Because so, depending on how you edit it, you can make anybody win. You can make anybody do anything. Like wrestling. It, well, exactly. <laughs> but I wouldn't say wrestling isn't a sport. I would right. say wrestling is a sport, but it, it, it's definitely it definitely has a more of, of an it definitely has more of an entertainment lean to it. Right. So, the question for you. So I, I think I remember the story that you ended up going on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire because that was your favorite show, was it? At that time, yes, it was. And you had the chance to go on Jeopardy at the same time. Uh no. No. Around around that time I was studying for Jeopardy, which is really yes, hard to do. Okay. It, it, you, you, I mean, you just have to read everything in the world. So I was just, I was reading and studying and playing a lot of trivia games to like prepare for like one day, maybe mm-hmm. I'll get on Jeopardy. And then one day Millionaire announced that instead of going to New York and taking the test, they would let people take it online and oh. submit an audition video. Okay. So like that's, and I figured, well, that's, that's the way to get in because you send in like an audition video and you talk about yourself for two minutes. If they like you, they'll send you the link to the test. And I have, I have no problem with that. I'm really good at trivia. So like, if they like me, I'm pretty much in, you know? So like, yeah, that's how I did that. So I, uh, my favorite game show moments for you, which is insane to say, (laughs) (laughs) I I know Price is Right was super awesome because it was like, it was the first one, right? That was the that was the first one. That was my eighteenth birthday. But I I I I vividly remember you and um and Andrew going bonkers when you were on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yo, we were hype. Well, I'm going to quickly tell you about that. So they called me on a Tuesday to be on the show on a Thursday. So I had like a little less than 48 hours to prepare for this thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I, I hadn't done any studying for that. At that point, I had just started studying for Jeopardy. I knew a lot about, like, the 10 biggest deserts in the world. Yeah. That's all I knew. That's all I studied. So I had no time to, like, practice for anything. I could not sleep that night. I was so excited. We got on the train at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning because my call time was, like, 5.30. Oh, man. And I was in the studio from 5.30 a.m. until my episode taped, which was at 4 o'clock p.m. They don't tell you what time you're going up on stage. Everybody waits backstage in this big, comfy green room, and there's a phone at the front of the room that will ring when they need a new contestant. And they're like, Christian, carry on. Come on in. Yeah, that's how it happens. And it, it got scary at one point because, you know, the phone goes ring, 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 ring. And somebody gets really excited to go up there, and then the phone rings again, like, 30 seconds later. Like, did they fucking lose? <laughs> Already? Because they, they don't let you watch it while right. it's going on. So somebody just goes up there, and then the phone rings, like, 30 seconds or a minute later. It's like, oh, my God, did they, like, like did they screw up the first question? They must have. And that's everybody's How long were you waiting to, like, there for? Do that. Altogether... About eleven hours. Wow. I couldn't stay awake. I I, I was falling asleep backstage. Which I, I got to tell you, these days, if you fall asleep backstage and you're like 
waiting to get on a game show. Like if you're a contestant you and you're out. like, nah, I, they'll kick your ass right out. Damn. I did a show called The Chase for Game Show Network. And one of the don't ruin it. Oh, that was my next point. Oh, geez. I'm so <laughs> Fucking guy came with notes for yeah. my own damn show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to trade a thought right now. No, I'm, I'm gonna, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. That was my, that was my number two favorite moment of you on a game show. The first when I watched you on the chase, I was like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "You know, he's gonna beat him. He's gonna beat him." Because you kept getting all the answers right. Yeah, I had him shook for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I had him shook for a minute. But so that show, that was the first one where they ever flew me to California for it. Like they paid for the hotel and the airfare and everything. Yeah. And so the morning after we landed, you know, I slept at the hotel. Woke up. They picked me up. Brought me to the studio. They had everybody who was going to be on that taping day in a big conference room and they were explaining the rules because they have to tell you every rule, every possible outcome or whatever, so that you're prepared going in there. This one guy next to me started falling asleep. <laughs> and so in the middle of the rules, the producer of the show was like, all right, we're going to take a five minute break. Uh, uh, Aaron, can I see you outside for a second? please?" Oh, they man. brought him out there and they didn't kick him out. Like they were really close. I think because they were, because te- we overheard them saying like, listen, man, you have to stay awake for this you know what i mean like you can't (laughs) we're gonna lock you in a room with a bunch of strangers for 12 hours (laughs) stay right like i'll be damned if you're gonna mess up our whole damn show right because because you're tired yeah motherfucker i'm tired (laughs) (laughs) i haven't slept in five days right i'm making a a tv show (laughs) right (laughs) yeah man yeah how crazy is it that you have game show moments for me yeah it's, it's insane and that's just that's I just it. i mentioned two <laughs> i like i used to i used to mention it a lot more like in everyday conversation but i think that somewhere along the way somebody i think it was in college somebody like told tore you. me a new ass somebody like somebody somebody got me and was like listen stop talking about it it's not that cool well it's and it's like just it's like, cool but it maybe maybe you don't hit that too hard so i started leaving it as like a fun fact like if you discover it cool i feel like that's a cool like hey did you know you know what i mean i feel like you get like a lot of people that are like like if they went to yale they're like oh yeah so when i was at yale or i went to yale and they always have to mention it don't be that guy don't be that guy chris well, right, and that was my lesson, and I had to learn <laughs> that spinning the wheel on The Price is Right was not the same thing as going to Yale. Whatever, you stood next to Bob Barker himself. I don't Yeah, care. I sure did. I sure did. Oh, I will always be proud of that. Question for you. Meredith, yeah, yeah. Is it Meredith Vieira? Is that, was that her name? Right, yeah. When you ran into her a couple times, do you think she genuinely remembered you? No. <laughs> no, I don't think she I Honestly, I don't think she did. I think, honestly, like, for that day... I'm sure she remembered me, but that's a busy lady. She was doing all kinds of stuff. She had like she had quit the show and she was on the Today Show and she was doing like her own talk show for a little while. Mm. And I, I, I very rarely, um, I am very rarely recognized by the people who I was on TV with. The only time I was ever recognized was um, Sway. Remember Sway on MTV? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, so he did like How an Sway? Instagram. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. You got the answers, yeah. So, <laughs> oh shit! Yo, you know, you know, Sway sold Kanye his first TV back in the day. His first TV was it a portable? His first TV? TV. I know. I think it was like a regular like box TV. 
That's insane. Isn't that crazy for him? For that man to yell at him so many years later. Oh my. But so, so Sway did like an Instagram live, and he yeah. recognized me from Hip Hop Square. She was like, "Hey, oh, Christian, yeah. I want a thousand dollars with you. How you doing?" I'm like, oh shit. That's amazing. The world, the world is crazy. I love people like that, though, that remember you, like, after such a long time. Oh, yeah. Oh, he was awesome. He was awesome. I've had so many, I've, I've had so many cool experiences on that kind of, on that kind of TV, man. It's, 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 it's unbelievable. Well, TV yeah. is really the reason why you and I are talking right now. L- literally. Quite literally. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, you had another question for me. Go ahead. No, I don't think I did. Oh, that was my oh fault. you started saying, like, oh, you went, oh, another. Yeah, I forgot. It's okay. Oh, It happens. Right. All right, COVID brain. <laughs> no, but it's no joke. My wife, my wife just got over it, and she's still like sometimes her brain will be a little foggy. She'll like forget, not like big serious shit, but she'll just like, you know, she'll get like confused and stuff. Damn, that's yeah. Sorry for talking I mean, about that. No, no, no. Oh, I mean, I know. I mean, not to bring it down at all. I mean, she's fine. <laughs> other than that, I'm glad. Yeah, I know you were a little shook up by that. Oh yeah, it was crazy. But they also don't tell you that. And, and and not to minimize COVID at all, because it's super serious, but they don't tell you that 85% of cases are mild. 85% of people will feel it as, like, a really big kick-ass cold, you know, which is, thank God, that's what she had. Yeah, so we got this group in-house at the hotel who has been with us since last March because of COVID, so they've been housed there um, because they work with the, some kind of public. And... They're they're now getting uh, the um, the injections, the vaccines. So the first one goes fine, but when you get the second one, you get sick for like a few hours. Right. So you have like a fever. You know, you, f- you feel off. You go to sleep. You wake up, and you're perfectly fine. So like, yeah, it's crazy that like some people will get that type of reaction, and some people won't. Unbelievable how that works. And and what's scary about it, and what scared me about it while Cat had it, was there is no pathology for it. They don't mm-hmm. know how it affects certain people. They don't know what timeline of symptoms to reasonably expect. It can be that you have no symptoms one day, and tomorrow you wake up and you need and and you and you need to go to the hospital. It can be that you are feeling terrible Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You feel excellent on Thursday. You're right back to feeling terrible on Friday. Like nobody knows, and that that was the scariest part for me was the uncertainty. Yeah, I mean it. It, it varies by person, and you, you hear so many different stories about how someone reacted to it, and then some people were just like, "Yeah, uh, I woke up with the sniffles, and I was fine." Right. But then it's those people that say that, like, oh, because I felt it as a case of the sniffles, it's not real. And, like... I had the sniffles, I'm going to go lick everyone's doorknobs. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's fine. Has, has, has anyone ever done that at your hotel? Has anyone ever licked a knob? <laughs> I'm sure knobs have been licked, but not the doors. <laughs> so, on some real shit, because I used to live on the corner of Whaley and the Boulevard. Yep. Do you ever... Did you ever get like junkies and shit trying to get into the lobby? Is that a big every single day? Is it really <laughs> every single day, it. man? I knew it. I knew it. Wow. It, every it used to be worse. So ever since the pandemic happened, there's really only one or two people in the hotel at a time. So we keep right. all the doors locked. But beforehand, man, it was like free season up in the lobby, man. People would come in trying to steal from the market area, come to the restaurant, ask them for quarters, like start bu- trying to bump cigarettes off of guests, like inside the lobby. 
<laughs> and we literally... Sir, you can't do that. Sir, sir, you we, can't do that. We have a, a code over the radio, and it's code B, like code bum. And <laughs> so sometimes we have to be careful and discreet with it because then guests will kind of catch on to what code B is. <laughs> right. Well, I feel like B, the letter B at a hotel could stand for a lot of bad things. Yeah. But, so it could be bum. It could be bed bug. Baloney fight. Baloney fight. <laughs> Got another one of those damn baloney fights. Yeah. Break it up! Break it up! We got a, a baloney. Oh, wow. Never mind. I was going to say something stupid. <laughs> Listen, don't, I've been saying stupid stuff for the past uh, fifty-five minutes. Don't let me stop. There you, you go. Um, yeah, no. So it was literally code bum, and <laughs> it just people sleeping on couches in the lobby area. Anything, man. Anything. Yeah. I, I I just I feel bad saying like I knew it, but I just like I know that area and I know that like that <laughs> hotel is like right on the line. Like it's right where Yale stops and the rest of New Haven begins. You know what I mean? So to a certain extent, um, you know, sometimes we as hoteliers have to be kind of fake. Like you said earlier, like this it's the Christian show. Like you have to be like put on that face for the stage. And for me, you know, I'm Puerto Rican. I have light complexion. And I look like I could be white, I could be Jewish, I could be Middle Eastern, whatever maybe. So a lot of the people that will come into the hotel which are try me, but they don't know that I'm from Howard Avenue in New Haven. And Oh shit. That, that means something. <laughs> that's no, no joke. That's, that's no joke. No, sometimes like a joke I tell myself because I was never a kid from the street. So but right. at the same time, like I know better. So you can't like try to get one over on me, which they do try to do at first. And after I've said my hospitality voice a couple times, that's when I'll get into my yo-yo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to have a coworker named Norm. Norm was the man. I hope Norm is listening. I hope he's doing well. Norm, <laughs> he used to do this shit. Where, like, again, he was, like, he was real dark-skinned. Yeah. He was, he was, he, he was, like, he was hood as shit. But he was so good at putting on that voice. Like, well, ma'am, I'd be happy to get a room mm -hmm. for you. Why don't you have a seat and we'll have something for you right away. And, but in the meantime, he would bring me out in the hallway. He'd go, this bitch going to make me get hood. And this yeah. Yep. He said, I got, <laughs> that's me every said, time I go in the back office. <laughs> he used to say this shit. He used to go, I'm going to give her that dark meat. I got yeah. dark meat on special. Oh. We got shit tons of it. <laughs> That used to crack me up, oh, man. I miss, I miss Norm. That was, the, that was the golden age of working at that hotel. When me and him were working there, that was the end, man. That was the end of it. It was awesome. Yeah, it's good times it always. It was awesome. Yeah. I miss hospitality so much. I, I'm At some point, I, I, I'm thinking about getting back into it. Don't I just, do it. Right. If you're out, really? you're out. If you're on the fence, then you don't really have a passion for it. And that has a lot to do with how happy we are with our jobs and satisfied with what we're doing. Well, this is how I feel about it. Like right now I'm not in it mainly because I got laid off and because it didn't feel that was God helping you because you'd be stuck forever. Like me. <laughs> you think so for real? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just joking. Half joking. Half joking. <laughs> cause, cause you know, cause there's days that are amazing that you love people and they're awesome and everything goes great. But there's days that are absolutely awful. And I'm sure it's like that for a lot of people who work in different, like, kind of industries, too. 
Well, yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest with you. Right now, what I do for a living, like I work corporate side for a local supermarket. Like I work in their corporate building. Mm-hmm. And I get to wear jeans and sneakers to work. I get to put my lunch period wherever I want it. I get to leave. Like if my wife gets out a little early, I get to like, I get to bounce early. It's super low pressure. I don't, you know, working in hospitality, I feel like made me like it made me a little neurotic because I started depending on that, like approval of everybody around me. Mm -hmm. And it just, silently drove me insane. And once I started working an office job, I realized like I didn't have to do that anymore. I don't have to put on a game face to go into work, which I had to do for five years. So in that way, yes, I agree with you. I probably don't want it. But at the same time, if we suddenly get this itch to move to another area or to move to another state or just like have a new chapter of this adventure together, I have a set of skills that if we need to make money, just plot me down in a hotel. I can do it. You know what I mean? I can make a decent living with that. So like if I, so if it came down to it, if I had to do it, I'd be okay with it right now. I don't have to, but I do miss the camaraderie of it. And I know that that probably doesn't exist in the context of everything going on in the world right now. No, it's typically the same two people you see every day instead of the, uh, the rush of different types of people from all over the world that you're used to seeing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it's sad. It's, it's sad because even in Lancaster, I mean, that was the big draw. You know, was all the tourism. Mm-hmm. People want to come see Amish country and see all the all the sights and try all the food, and all see the, the corn, monkeys, and all that. All My the God, the corn in Pennsylvania. We don't have much <laughs> corn around here. Like in Lancaster, <laughs> corn is not the crop. Well, oh well, then I see every crop as corn every time I drive by one of these farms. Do you, well, no, I mean, I think in Pennsylvania, like in general, there's a lot of corn, but like in this area, there's a lot of like apples. Christian, how cabbage. many how many pounds or tons, whichever you prefer, of corn do you think are in Pennsylvania right now? How many how many tons? I'll say how many tons are in Pennsylvania right now. Right now, I'll say like Six hundred thousand tons of corn in Pennsylvania. Six hundred thousand tons of corn. We should try to find out how many tons of corn are made in Pennsylvania a year. We're gonna figure it out, and I'll say it on the next episode. You got it. I'll open with it. I feel like there probably isn't too much growing right now because it's the winter. (laughs) Oh yeah, we just had. (laughs) (laughs) We just had a foot of snow, so you should have gotten that right. Welcome back to two fucking morons talking on fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Oh my hey, remember god. Remember that time we talked about corn oh on your podcast? <laughs> corn in the winter yes. coming up on Stranger Than Christian. <laughs> Bill, let me ask you something real quick. Yeah. You and I are both light skinned Puerto Ricans that can pass for other races that aren't Latino. Who can't How do you feel about that it? <laughs> Who can't? I, right, right. Okay, good. Finally, how does that make you feel? How do you feel as a person? Because I feel like shit all the time about it. <laughs> I hate it because like other like um, like other Latinos will like make fun of you for it and like say that you're not yeah like Latino because you can't speak Spanish. Which I yeah, understand. I got called the fake Puerto Rican ones. Like, what, what is that? Yeah, it's like every day of my life. Like, I understand everything that people are saying, every single word. But I can't articulate it. The only time I can is if I'm, like, pissed or there's, like, an emergency and I need to say something. 
That's it. Yes, under pressure. <laughs> under pressure, I can do it. Yeah. If I need to communicate that there's somebody on the fourth floor with a broken leg and they're diabetic, I can say that. Yeah. I mean, probably not, but... <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> but that. But in the moment, I probably can. But yeah, it's like, yeah, why are they so... Why are people so judgy when you can't speak Spanish? Because I feel like... And I talked about this with another guest I had a few weeks ago, but I feel like it has a lot to do with people's perception of you. Those Those racial biases are are baked in there. You know what I mean? So when somebody when somebody looks at you, that's just part of the image that they have of you. Oh, he must speak Spanish or maybe he doesn't speak English. That happens a lot in Pennsylvania. People like people will look at me <laughs> and well, think that I don't Puerto speak Rican? Yeah, that, but they'll also think that I don't fucking speak English. Like I went to buy an iPad <laughs> Wait, off Facebook Marketplace. What? <laughs> I went to listen, I went to buy an iPad off Facebook Marketplace once and this lady greeted me out the door with it and she was showing me that it worked. She had to reset. You know you have to like pick a like yeah you know how you have to like pick a language to like open an iPad like to to start setting it up? She held the screen out to me and she said and she said so you would pick English, right? I said bitch wait, yes. <laughs> that is bananas insulting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was like, she was like English, right? Oh, what the fuck? Yeah. Oh my god. Fucking look! I just I talked to her on Facebook before I got to the house. She, you must have used a translator app. Yeah, he must have had. He must have had an interpreter. They must have been at the courthouse. What's this guy's name? His name is Christian. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> like carry on luggage. Yeah. <laughs> If I hear that joke one more time, I'll snap the fucking neck of the person closest to me. Oh, do you hear that a lot? I used to. When I was younger, I used to hear that all the time. When I worked overnight uh, in hotels, there'd always be drunk people would come back, obviously, from partying and stuff and, like, wedding parties. And every single time, every weekend, without hesitation, Emilio! The Mighty Duck Guy! Swear to God! <laughs> Every Saturday night. Emilio Estevez, yes. stop! Yes. <laughs> I was you like, have a... Emilio! <laughs> yeah, but you have a good name. Like, 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 the first name sounds good, like, in a in a chant or, like, a yell. Like, Emilio! Like, it has that, like... Well, let me tell you, Chris, a, I've heard that name screamed plenty of times. I bet you have. <laughs> I bet you have. It, it, Immediately followed by a sandal to the face. Yes. <laughs> Chocleta. Yeah. I did. <laughs> See, Emilia, I knew, get the wasé. I knew that in Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know all the, right, all the good shit. Christian. America. Get the wasé. 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 Get the Christian, you come home. <laughs> that is insane. Oh my god, I love it. I just wanted to make sure, and I, I, I I'm, I'm sure at this point because I've talked to, I've talked about it to more than one person. Yeah. But I finally have a light skinned Puerto Rican who passes for white on the show. And that's, there you go. That's a milestone. We can me. articulate every English word and then tell you que te vaya para el carajo at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> If that isn't hospitality in one sentence, I don't know what is. You're welcome. See you next time. Yeah, right. You have a great day. You enjoy your stay, all right? Thank you so much. Oh, fuck it. (laughs) Emilio, this was so much fun, man. We finally had a conversation after 15 years. After 15 years. And it was great. It was fun. Yeah, it's like we've been friends this entire time. 
Well, we have been friends this entire time, well, and that just goes friends. to show. It just goes to show everyone listening at home: your online friends are your friends too. Talk to them and find out how they're doing. And don't share your political views with them. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> or else you'll get blocked. <laughs> Pretty much, right? Yes. Emilio, this was this was a huge pleasure, man. I'm glad we're not strangers anymore. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Absolutely. I was so excited to join you, and it was a pleasure. Good. I'm glad. Listen, stay safe. Pick up whatever the fuck you just dropped right now. Um, and... <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you what it is. <laughs> I don't want to know. It was corn. I don't want to know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Your homework tonight is find out how much corn is in Pennsylvania. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. I'm, I'm hanging out. All right. See you, man. <laughs> All right, Emilio. Thanks, yeah, man. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Stranger Than Christian is produced by me, Christian Carrion, for my studio in Lancaster City, Pennsylvania. New episodes premiere every Saturday on all major streaming services and at StrangerThanChristian.com. Follow me on Twitter at StrangerThanC. If you enjoy the shows, support me on Patreon. Not only will you be supporting unedited, honest conversation, but you'll also receive lots of perks and bonus content. Go to Patreon.com slash StrangerThanChristian to give your support. Until next week, thank you so much for tuning in to Stranger Than Christian, part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network. I'm Christian Carrion. Good night. Stranger Than Christian is a Fat Paulie's Bagels production. Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to ApocalypsePodcastNetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.